Welcome to Full of Chit Chat After Dark. This is the first ever nighttime recording. I mean, there have been three episodes so far, so that's not as impressive as I'm making it sound. Still, this is my first time recording in a bathrobe, so I hope that that honor is not lost on my guest, whose presence uh, is an honor. I am very happy to be speaking to my friend, uh, Squamish Nation Councilor, Van City uh, Board Member, my credit union, so maybe we'll talk about how healthy my uh, personal financial picture is looking uh, 11 months into pandemic. Kel Salem, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, how are you doing uh, at the beginning of, um, you know, what should be the new year that we're, oh, uh, sorry, I hit my printer. I hit my printer while gesticulating, um, but I, I'm going to leave it in for uh, verite, uh, authenticity purposes. How are you feeling at the beginning of what's supposed to be, you know, our comeback year? Yeah, I mean, this is the year that we uh, build back better, apparently. Um, I am doing well. I am, you know, new year, new me, um, ready to implement all of my wonderful resolutions um, and uh, just, you know, feeling good about where I'm at right now. You, I, one way in which I do feel that you are very much a kindred spirit to me is you, you definitely do think very much on the two tracks of like improving the world and, but also improving yourself as long as I've known you you have you you do um like you because you do take uh self-improvement seriously and like I mean I don't know if that necessarily expresses as new year's resolutions exactly does it do you do new year's resolutions I mean I I don't think I do it out of like you know some sort of dogmatic commitment to these kinds of traditions but I definitely you know I think probably like a lot of people go through the holidays um, experiencing a lot of self-reflection because it's like the end of the year, you have yeah. some time off. Um, and then it's like, you know, New Year's, it's a new year. Like it's, it feels like a renewal. And so I end up going into every new year with like a little bit of a sense of like reflection on the past year, um, celebrating some clear successes and wins, but also looking self-reflectively on like, what didn't work for myself? Like, what are the things that I did that weren't successful for me? personally or professionally um what can i learn from the past year that i take into my new year um and do better and i I generally end up doing that just i think out of happenstance i also feel as though the um the accretion of other cultures in one's orbit gives you more new years over the course of the year so you get more (laughs) resets so i get like my january 1st and then having married into a Chinese family, I then get, you know, to clear the deck again six yeah. weeks later in, in February. Uh, then, you know, you want to bring some curds into your life for the uh, new Raws, uh, you know, New Year later on. And you just, yeah. ideally, you just get to keep, um, you get to keep resetting. Uh, like last year, start. I mean, it feels like a million years ago. Um, but last year, of course, started... Uh, in a very uh, dramatic way for um, uh, the relationship between, I mean, in particular, the, the government of British Columbia, um, mm-hmm. but also the federal government, um, 
and uh, indigenous uh, nations uh, within uh, what is called uh, uh, BC as a, as a polity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that feels uh, somewhat far away in, in, in a lot of ways in the sense of, you know, being lost to the mists of, of our sort of news cycle amnesia. Mm-hmm. And then in other ways, it feels very fresh because uh, Bill C-15 is on the table you had an editorial uh, in just in the Toronto Star um, this week, uh, yesterday, with uh, Jonathan Sass, um, where you talked about uh, Bill C-15. Uh, of course, uh, what happened last year with the BC NDP government and and Unistoten uh, uh, was right after the implementation of uh, UNDRIP uh, as provincial policy. Tell me a bit about C-15. What's wrong with it? Uh, but why you feel like it is going to be a step forward. Yeah. Um, and try not to be distracted by the sound of my dog uh, trying to find out whether there are mice or rats inside the Ikea furniture right. uh, in the office. Okay. Um, well, maybe maybe the, the you know federal legislation on Indigenous rights will help answer and clarify that question as well. <laughs> or Luna. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, okay, so B self, B, uh, Bill C-15 is a pretty short and pretty, I would say, modest piece of legislation. It's not quite, it's not extensive. It, it It's like, you know, two or three pages at the most. And it, it, it builds on um, Bill 262, which was a private member bill that Rome, uh, at the time NDP MP Romeo Saganash had tabled and put forward. Um, Romeo being a you know residential school survivor, indigenous leader from Quebec, um, and was kind of the author of of that bill. It that bill received uh, majority support in in the House of Commons um, from the NDP and the federal Liberals. It actually got past um, you know the, the threshold of fifty percent plus one. And it when was the, this? He because because Romeo is is retired now as an yeah. MP, right? So yeah. what 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 session was this? This was like right before the last federal election because okay. the, the bill ended up with the Senate and then and then it died on the order um, because an election was called and bills basically die if they're they're stuck in the reading right. process. So this new bill, Bill C-15, builds on that bill. It, it, it changes it in some ways. It improves on it in some areas. It doesn't improve on it in other areas, but it's largely the same. And it really what it calls for is it calls for the government of Canada to commit to... Um, doing two things, reviewing all existing legislation and reviewing all future new potential legislation. And that those laws, whether they're existing or future laws, um, must be consistent with the articles of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. It, so that's the first kind of piece of it. The second piece is how do you operationalize a, a, you know, a call to action like that? And it requires that the government develop an action plan in, in consultation and cooperation with First Nations or with Indigenous groups, uh, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, to identify what are the priorities with regard to legislation that should be amended or developed uh, to implement the Articles of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And then it has like some uh, mechanisms on accountability, like you know, progress must be reported to Parliament and the public and... Um, and that the law has a pl- application within Canadian law or the declaration has application in Canadian law. So it's, it's a short legislation because it basically just outlines those key kind of actions. And then it just references 
the actual declaration as an addendum to the actual law. And that's, that's basically the same thing that the, you know, Romeo's bill was outlining. It's the same thing that BC's bill outlines. Uh, and it's kind of become um, a particular model for how to implement the articles of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I, I, there are two questions for me that that are coming out of the answer that you, that you just gave. I mean, one is uh, you 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 indicated that uh, C fifteen will address itself to existing legi legislation because that that was one of the things that kept coming up in BC was that uh, you know everything was getting grandfathered in that was like, well, you know, we can't go back in time with this. So anything that was before this. So does, is, is that a way of addressing that problem or, or is that still um, a, a flaw with uh, C-15? Um, I would say that, you know, there's, there's a real, I think, um, legitimate criticism of, of, you know, legislation, which is their laws, regulations which are often um developed by like an order and council you know cabinet usually has the authority to approve regulations um and then statutory powers that are given either to cabinet ministers or deputy cabinet ministers or particular civil servants right so that's the kind of the structure of our government and so many of our laws in canada um over the last 150 plus years have largely been written by governments who were probably more sympathetic to corporate interests than they were to, you know, the working class interests or, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and let you talk, run down uh, Canada's <laughs> government like that on, on this podcast, <laughs> young man. Um, yeah. I mean, we just got to abolish the concept of property. And, no, <laughs> kidding. Um, and so th there's, there's a real, you know, the scales are tipped and, and, and not only is it tipped in favor of corporate interests, and, and we see this in the way that laws are written, say, to protect uh, corporate investments um, and, and the damages that corporations can theoretically sue when governments yank certificates for, say, like oil and gas exploration, which is something that happened in BC recently, um, where the government was forced by the court to pay back um, the full cost to a company um, as a result of, of cancelling um, some oil and gas licenses. So that's, you know, that's the context. And so there's, I think, a huge undertaking to then go through, you know, numerous legislation and identify like this is actually out of line and this is out of line and this is out of line with a set of 45-ish uh, principles, articles of the declaration that at you know, the, the tool of UNDRIP has been described as the minimum standards for dignity for Indigenous peoples. It's the mm -hmm. minimum standards. So there are all kinds of laws and authorities and powers that the government of Canada has given to itself that um, contradict that um, principle of providing dignity to Indigenous peoples. And, and I think the, the criticism of, of the bill and, and of the process is, um, you know, on one hand, you know, do we trust the government to do these things? Are they meaningfully going to do it? All that kind of stuff. And I think, yeah, I think that I don't necessarily trust the government to do everything that I think should be done um, when it comes to Indigenous rights. But up until this point, um, in, the, in this last, in the, uh, among this Trudeau government, more so than any other government in Canada, at the federal level, 
we have seen them adopt and implement language from UNDRIP into legislation and to begin uh, legislating uh, these minimum standards within to Canadian law. Because up until recently, the only body that would actually make law regarding Indigenous rights, or at the time Aboriginal rights, was the courts. Like you had to go to the courts if you wanted to get any kind of case law decision which would have a, like a power of, of law within Canada. Well, so this was the other question that I wanted to ask you was how important it is, uh, you know, UNDRIP, obviously the UN uh, is United Nations. Uh, like how important is it to have a body, some sort of sovereign body, uh, supranational to both Canada and the uh, Indigenous nations um, uh, w- with which it's engaging in uh whether it's negotiations or, mm-hmm. or what have you, how important is it to have a, a, a supranational body uh, governing those relations that is not the crown? Because one of the things that uh, your, your editorial was, I mean, it was, it was a great editorial, but one of the things I love about it, I mean, even just from a purely stylistic point of view, one of the things I love about it as a writer mm-hmm. is it does one of the things that, a thing that I just adore in a piece of writing, which is that it ends on this little clause in a sentence that is just stated as the most sort of common sense part of the article, which is actually the most sort of radical statement in the whole piece, which is that you you end on this, on a reference to the myth of crown land, mm-hmm. which is an absolutely, I mean, an existential question uh, for Canada as presently constituted, mm-hmm. um, not only territorially, but I think just in terms of its legal identity and, and you know, uh, h- how important is it to be able to to turn to the UN as opposed to turning to um, the Crown? Yeah, um, I will say that I have a perspective on this that might differ from other Indigenous people, and I do think it's important to, you know, I I feel like prefacing that because I know that there are probably some Indigenous people who might criticize this kind of take on it. So uh, the UN is obviously like, you know, it's a, it's a international body set up by nation states, many of whom are colonial in origin or colonizer in origin. Mm -hmm. And it is not made up of, um, you know, nations in a, I would say a wider pluralistic sense. It's made up of nation states. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, kind of political economy is tied to that. And so it's not necessarily an organization that indigenous nations around the world are necessarily like equal partners in or necessarily um, accountable to. Of course. But, but the, the, the instrument of the UN declaration, right? This like document that outlines like 46 articles um, that covers all of the topics that are covered in the declaration that was that was co developed by indigenous peoples from around the world over decades. like the conversation to develop that document was developed starting like the conversation started back in the seventies and every year you know indigenous peoples from all over the world were flown into New York or into Geneva and in Africa, all around the world um, to, to continue this conversation around what are the articles that should go into a document like this. And my understanding of it is that it was really born out of, you know, there's the UN, um, you know, uh, Convention on Human Rights, for example, 
which is again a international document um, that is used as a as an instrument for um, creating universal rights that every country should aspire to upholding. Um, they have a whole bunch of other kinds of documents, you know, on the rights of children and youth, um, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, we so, have friends that gave right after our Josephine was born, gave her a copy of the. A declaration of rights of children and taped it to her front door like right which, which felt like they were like letting her know like hey make sure that your parents you know <laughs> <laughs> like it, it felt like uh yeah uh, it felt like mildly like um uh, i didn't did not quite know how to take it <laughs> yeah um one of my favorite stories is about chief dan george who was you know this wonderful human being and um who loved children so much and and uh, one of my teachers um when he met him uh was with his father who's one of our elders in the community and chief dan george kneeled down to the to this young boy at the time and said um your father's treating you right yeah (laughs) (laughs) and if he isn't he let me know okay (laughs) um and you know just kind of had that that kind of care and jovial attitude around it um but um yeah and so it's a document that outlines these kinds of principles um they don't necessarily have application in in law in the sense that like you know in canada we have the charter of rights and freedoms and we've created through our constitution uh structures that are you know delegated for upholding that document and and th- those are all kind of rights that we get as canadian citizens um and we've created structures with regard to like measuring whether those rights are being infringed or enacted um and and so the the, the un declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples was collaboratively developed over many many decades by many many different leaders across the world um and and so then it comes to this place of like okay it's up to each nation then to you know choose to implement it there's you know all the nations people like to pick on this point that like oh all the nations except four signed on to it when it was initially tabled at the un and the four were australia new zealand us and canada and at the time all four of those countries had right-wing governments who were just opposed to kind of indigenous rights but like you know there was countries in the world who have an atrocious record on indigenous rights and they still endorsed the document because it didn't have any you know power effect in their country um it was symbolic the the work is to then take a document like that and turn it into some sort of application domestically within our country Um, There are other documents that have been tabled over the years in Canada that have also resulted in these kinds of like, let's implement this. And they haven't been implemented. Yeah. Um, You know, the Royal, the, the, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples in the nineties was one of the biggest Royal Commissions ever committed in Canadian history. It came out with hundreds of recommendations, most of which still have not been implemented. Um, The TRC uh, had the calls to action, um, and some of which have been implemented by the various levels of government, and some of which have not, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, I, I think there's, I don't think these documents are necessarily, they're, they're a tool. And what really happens, though, is like any um, movement towards a particular political agenda requires that you operate um on the assumption that there isn't a there's a political economy at play and that you have to organize in it and if you're in a democracy like canada is that means that you have to organize democratically to get these ideas supported and implemented 
And the strength or depth of those ideas are only going to be implemented based off the strength and depth of what you're able to organize publicly uh, and then convince the politicians and the leaders to, to implement. And so I think that what we've been able to accomplish is close to or around of, you know, what Bill C-15 is. Um, but by implementing it, and this is my point, is that by passing it into law, it then creates a new, I would say, step on the ladder for others down the road to then advance further. Hmm. Like there, there will be activists in 20 years who are able to push this country even further than we are now because Bill C-15 has been passed this year. Um, in the same way that activists today and leaders today in, in different communities are able to do things because of past, you know, um, accomplishments. And I mean, even the inclusion of, of Section 35 in the Canadian Constitution and the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms was like a big uh, political moment for First Nations political forces and Indigenous political forces. Well, and so, sometimes those those lines are not at all straight lines. And I mean, you you and I have talked um, a little bit about um, the way that uh, you know, and and uh, you you told me about a conversation um, you had uh, um, with. Uh, <laughs> I'm realizing, you know, it's not like you said uh, this is off the record or something like that. But I also, don't, <laughs> but I mean, uh, so you know, tell me if this is off base. But uh, when when you when you spoke to Minister um, Melanie Jolie, um, uh, who is a Franco Ontarian. And uh, you were talking with her about some of the work um, that you've been doing on revitalizing indigenous language. And um, the, I, don't, I don't think anyone would have thought that uh, in, 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 in putting forward legislation uh, in the 70s that was supposed to uh, protect French in Ontario, mm-hmm. that any that in any way uh, things were being laid down and yet in, uh, in this serendipitous way they, they were mm-hmm. to, to potentially, um, uh, to, to potentially, you know, flowing into the, some of the work that, that you're doing with, with revitalizing um, uh, indigenous language. Can you talk a little bit about, um, yeah. about that? Yeah. I mean, it's another good example, right? Cause I think that um, Canada in 2019 passed, the Indigenous uh, Languages Act. Um, it was one of the few pieces of legislation that the Trudeau government um, passed with, with their majority focusing on kind of calls from First Nations. Uh, I was also critical then. The law that, or the bill that they proposed was not as meaningful or as um, in-depth as I had wanted, but um, it moved things forward. And and in that particular case, you know, there's, there's, I think, you know, after a while, these political conversations really, they, they, things start to change, I think, when the contradictions become a bit more apparent by more people. Mm-hmm. And, and the contradiction of like, okay, so we're a country of, you know, there's this story of Canada, like, you know, English and French, but then there's, there's these Indigenous people. And, and, you know, after 20 years of doing territorial acknowledgements, the consensus has kind of landed on that this land doesn't belong to yeah. <laughs> you know, the Canadians. Um, and I want to talk about your new formulation, your new proposed formulation. Uh, but yeah. let, let's talk about that in a bit. Yeah. So, you know, 
these things change, like political views on, on, on all kinds of social issues change. And I've seen the polling um, federally or even provincially. Um, most Canadians and most British Columbians think that the government should seek the consent of the Indigenous nations when development is happening in their territory. Like most people actually agree with that statement. It's, that's not an outlier. Um, and so I think like you think, okay, like English is protected in Canada and French is protected in Canada. Like why aren't, you know, these initial original languages protected? Yeah. And, and I think for a lot of people, that's like an obvious contradiction. And so if like, yeah, totally, we should totally do that. Um, and, and, and the bill is, you know, the, the law, the act, the Indigenous Languages Act is still going through like implementation and, and, you know, governments do live up to the stereotype of being ridiculously slow at things. Um, so, you know, I have, I'm waiting, you know, for them to move forward, but there are, you know, it's, it's something to build on and there's some interesting stuff. That, that's one example. The Indigenous Languages Act is one example. They also passed um, a First Nations child welfare legislation that was also really unique. They Im uh, included amendments into the Environmental Assessment Act that also give First Nations some increased leverage. Um, there was a few other pieces of legislation where they were actually like, they were copying at the request of First Nations leaders or Indigenous leaders, word for word, uh, clauses that had been copied and pasted from the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, and they were putting them into Canadian legislation. Like it, that was actual. That's that, that, that's law in a few laws in Canada and a few laws in BC, um, and that's that's really unique. Uh, and that's the direction I think we should be going. Right now, there is nothing that requires the government to do that, and I feel like Bill C fifteen actually makes that into a requirement. Whether future governments do it or not. Who knows? I mean, we cannot, if, if the law exists, then we have something to sue the government on because we're saying you're breaking your own law. But right now we have nothing to, to rest on. So I, I, you used, you hinted at this and the, because I, I, you know, as you know, I'm, uh, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I, I have to remind you about three times per week when you send me a link to something on Twitter that I've blocked it on my phone. Right. Um, and I, you know, I always have to uh, cheat and either go on my web browser or on my laptop and, and search it or, or look at it on my, on my wife's phone. Um, but um, uh, which is, which is, you know, like you set these uh, self-improvement things and then you find immediately find the workaround. Uh, to keep yourself from becoming a better person. Um, but I, I was going through your, uh, your feed last week, um, uh, partly because uh, of, of uh, Canucks logo appropriation gate. Um, uh, but, but you put in something that I think is so important because, I mean, we, re like, we really are... I mean, we're we're days, if not hours, away from uh, Chevron doing yeah. territorial acknowledgments <laughs> for oil spills. Like it, it, it has become it a fully metabolized part yeah. of. Um, and you don't want to be. I mean, the way I just phrased that was very cynical, and and I think you've been very um, good in this conversation about uh, the importance of noting the progress, noting what's missing from the progress, and you know, using the momentum to keep moving forward into getting closer to what you want. And so we shouldn't, I, I mean, I don't want to dismiss the fact that, you know, but, but, you know, I can remember, I mean, in the late nineties, 
the only people who did land acknowledgements, you know, non-indigenous yeah. people who did land acknowledgements were anarchists. Like yeah. if you went to a hard yeah. left thing at like Spartacus books or yeah. Lacana or something, you might yeah. hear one. Yeah. And now it's in corporate email sign-offs. It's in whatever, <laughs> like, and, and so you have put forward, uh, I also incidentally loved your uh, meditations on the creative ways that people, um, uh, put it forward. Uh, yeah. uh, your um, your fondness for the uh, I, I live, work, and play um, yeah. formulation. Um, but you put forward and asked for people, asked who would commit to the the following um, formulation as a territorial acknowledgement. Share it with us and tell me why. I mean, it's it's obvious why it's important, but expand on it. And and and, yeah. and do you think people will take you up on this? I mean, maybe the folks at Spartacus Book School, <laughs> and then twenty years Chevron will. Right, like that's the point. Um, so the the tweet that I put was a twenty twenty one territorial acknowledgement resolution. Quote: I recognize this as, and then in brackets, name of Indigenous peoples. So you insert the name uh, territory. I am committed to seeing their territory, including lands and waters, returned or compensated for. End quote. Um, I mean, it's Article 17 of the UN Declaration, which is to return territories and lands to Indigenous peoples or have them compensated for it. So um, you're just supporting the basic human rights of Indigenous people by committing to this. Um, why would you say no? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so straightforward because it really is um, like it's just the next part of the sentence. Really, like yes. if you just go, I acknowledge that this is a stolen stereo. Like it yeah. means nothing yeah. if you keep playing your CDs on it. CDs, yeah. I don't know who the fuck I think is listening to CDs. What I'm still at Spartacus Books in the late 90s in this sure, sure. Uh, scenario. But like, yeah, so if this is stolen land, if it's unceded territory, if it's, yeah. uh, if it's broken treaty territory, which yeah. from sea to sea to sea it yeah. is, yeah. Uh, then what is the uh, what is the logical outgrowth of that? What is the and and what you've what you've said there is just so pithy. But I I feel like it just it it runs against both on on the right. It runs against the 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 like the resistance on the right and center to actually write any checks to uh, and i mean yeah. that metaphorically and literally and on and on the left i think it it runs against the the sort of moral theatrics of yeah. politics which is cuz yeah. cuz what's what's in there as well is a kind of practical question of like or compensated for which is which does raise the question that i think a lot of people don't want to address of like okay well well what would it look like to yep. justly compensate um for because if you acknowledge this land is stolen and we also understand we're not all buying tickets back to where we're from yeah. uh, uh pa partly because a bunch of us are from a bunch of different places uh and also just as a side note because i think that that comes up for a lot of people i know you're saying it kind of jokingly but i think yeah. that there are people who respond with that like what you know what is decolonize are you telling me i'm gonna have to go back you know like that you know there's just kind of this kind of reactionary responses but like actually like forcing a bunch of people to leave their country 
uh, and ship them somewhere else is actually a human rights abuse. Yes. It's <laughs> like, also like, never been put forward. As, yeah. Like, I mean, and I, and I, you know, I, as I've, I have never heard that articulated yeah. really even in anger. I mean, yeah. uh, um, I'm, I'm sure there are people who have wished it in their less <laughs> generous moments and sure, sure. I can fully understand and yeah. relate to that, to that wish. And I mean, yeah, um, but it's not, know. it's not a legitimate um, call to action by anybody really legitimate. Um, but, but yeah, uh, you know, so the moment I, for me, my, in my political career, the moment that I knew that, you know, really, when you have to look back at it, I think a lot of people criticize the territorial acknowledgments as being fluff or performative or shallow and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, sometimes it is like, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, but let's take a wider view, which is, it means we're winning guys. Like, yeah. we're winning the conversation because I remember um, many, many years ago, and this was this at the time was like kind of like wow like this is wow they're they're doing it they're 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 including this is I remember um, about halfway through Gordon Campbell's uh, term as premier that there was a moment where all of a sudden all of the BC Liberal MLAs were doing territorial acknowledgments when they would get up on a podium at a community event in their riding. And what I was told is that the, the, the premier, the leader of the party and the premier and the caucus meeting said, from now on, all of you are to acknowledge the territory of the nations that you're on when you're out and doing events. Like it was an order from Gordon Campbell to his caucus. Mm. Um, BC liberals, are they, you know, the pro-indigenous party? I wouldn't give them those marks. I wouldn't give any party those marks, but like, right. you know, um, it was just a moment where I'm like, okay, like, you know, yes, it's performative and yes, it seems symbolic and all that kind of stuff, but it means that the conversation is like really shifting. The people who weren't in BC 30 years ago. Yeah. Like it it might not, you may not be able to resonate with just what that signifies and just culturally. Right. I mean, it, it, it really is, um, uh, and it, and it is there. There is just so much further to go, and I think I, I think it's also there is a different um, there's there's a different charge to uh, to you acknowledging this versus me acknowledging this in the sense yeah. of like I I really don't think it's it's a it's um, all that productive for non-indigenous yeah. Canadians to to sit back and think yeah. you know what we've really come a long way in this country yeah, 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 but yeah. it I mean I mean in in our private moments I do think it's important to clock yeah the, the change because if if you don't then you you can lose um i mean i, I guess lose the sense of of what helped you uh, or or what helped the the people and the movements that that you want to support yeah. make up that that amazing um make up that amazing ground because i mean it's 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 not an entirely transformed political reality from when i was a kid although yeah. there there are big there are big changes um but but culturally in a lot of ways i mean not in others but culturally it it's it's really i mean almost um 
unrecognizable uh, in yeah. in some. Okay, and and so like my thing is like like I think like you're pointing out like um, if if people were to take this up right, I I acknowledge that this is the territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people, uh, and I commit to supporting the repatriation of their territory back to their communities or that they, those communities be compensated for it. And now we're going to sing happy birthday for Steve uh, because it's Steve's birthday today. So everybody, you know, like, cool, great. Like, let's get there yeah. because um, I, I see MLAs from all parties, you know, doing territorial acknowledgements and they include it on their business card or they include it on the email signature. And, you know, every, every MLA I've seen do it of every political stripe. Well, who, who's going to be the first MLA to actually do what I'm saying, which is to call for land to be given back or for Indigenous nations to be compensated? Who's mm-hmm. going to be the first? Because eventually there will be two and eventually there'll be five and eventually there'll be over 50% of the, you know, of the, of the legislature. Um, and, then, and then, you know, who's, when are we going to have platforms where uh, the commitment is to repatriate um, back to indigenous communities because the reality is it's already happening like it's yeah. happening behind the scenes it's just not happening in a, a, a kind of fully um, democratic way and if when it does when it's clear that there is a consensus or you know a strong level of support for that direction to happen then it gives way it gives movement to the political leaders to move towards those types of policies um and, and I see it all the time. Like I, I had a conversation with a couple of city council members here in Vancouver who were very open and said, I think we should be giving land back to your communities. Like we've acknowledged this as your territory and we acknowledge that we stole it from you. Like we should give it back. You know, there's, there's a handful, like a couple I know of who have told yeah. me that and they've said it publicly. So I don't feel like I'm spilling the beans on them. Right. Right. Um, but pretty soon that it, I totally conceivable that a majority of the city council would probably say that and believe that and, and that they would get elected for it because people would be like, yeah, I do think that those communities like, you know, they haven't benefited from the complete absolute destruction of their territory um, so that we can, you know, um, shop on Granville street. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, the, 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 the city of Vancouver, of course, was born in the year of, an absolutely devastating fire that that very nearly yeah. um, destroyed the city, and and there there was there was all possibility that it that it would never be rebuilt. And um, people from across the water, from your nation, from yeah. from the Squamish nation, paddled across the Burrard Inlet uh, to save people from the f- fire. I mean, literally, yeah. in the founding moments of the city the it only exists the people the place by by grace of um by grace of the uh the nations that were and are here so if if we can't as a city reckon with that um I, I, and, but I also just think, you know, I feel like most people and, and, and mo- most people who are, who are in this city now, and, and, you, you know, you're talking about a city where I, you know, I forget what the exact number is now, but like 50% of the city is 
from somewhere else, either yeah. in the country or in the world. And I, I feel like there are a, a number of stories coming into this place where that, that initial founding moment of, of uh, generosity and sucker and hospitality repaid with this um, just yeah. malice and, 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 and um, uh, duplicitousness and, and yeah. uh, 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 continuing into the present day. Um, I, I feel like there's, there's no, there's no moral system or religious system on earth that can't make sense of what's going on there and say, here are the steps to begin to making this something like right. Right. I don't know. I, yeah. um, I, I, I would say that um, there's, there's always the moral arguments around a lot of this. And, and I think that, I think as leftists, we, we tend to go there um, pretty quickly. Um, but there's also, I think what's become a focus of my mind more recently is there doesn't have to be just a moral argument for some of these things. It also has, it also can be in the public interest and it can also be about, um, you know, the material interests and conditions of our society as a whole. And so what I mean by that is indigenous nations leading in local sustainable economic development is going to be far superior to multinational corporations with investors around the world many of whom we don't even know where they're from, uh, controlling and dictating what happens in our communities or near our communities and is extracting the wealth from our communities to benefit those far off, you know, millionaires and billionaires. Like who would you rather have rebuilding the economy in your neighborhood or in your community? Like the, the people who have been here for 10,000 years or like some corporation that's going to pull out eventually because investors are, are moving to a different part of the world. Like th- that's such a, a powerful way of putting a, an economic question in an era where the fact that capital picks up and leaves whenever it wants, like just it, it's uh, what you're talking about. That kind of rootedness is, yeah. I, I think is such a resonant image. Yeah. I mean, we're neighbors, right? Like, we, let's 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 benefit together. Like, um, and First Nations communities succeeding is going to benefit local economies. It, you know, we're we're entwined. We're 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 interconnected. Um, and this is a point that I I I want government leaders to get. This is a point that I want voters to understand. This is a point that I want you know people who might not necessarily be like super woke on the you know knowing what the right thing to say is when it comes to some of these kind of Uh, cultural norms that small groups of people expect of the wider society but it's like you know if you're uh, you're you're a worker in in in, you know the building trades or 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 um you know you're a suburbanite who's living um in maple ridge or something it's like you know indigenous people your local indigenous nation having access to the economic growth of your community is is probably going to benefit you as well. Like it's either going to create more opportunities for you and your family or, or, or the wealth that is created in that system is going to be reinvested back into the community. Like the profits 
that a First Nations make off of something is going to go back into your local community somewhere somehow, right? Like it's not going to be shipped off somewhere else. It's just, it's just not. And I remember listening to my aunt and uncle uh, in Coquitlam, you know, uh, who are not, you know, they're not radical people and, and talking about, you know, the fact that basically the thing, if anything was going to save their kids from, uh, catastrophic climate change, it was going to be that indigenous sovereignty was going to mm-hmm. stop the construction of these, uh, um, uh, you know, m- massive uh, carbon intensive mm-hmm. mega projects. Like yeah. that's a, that's an, like that, that sentiment would never have been expressed uh, 30 years ago yeah. in this, in this part of the world. I, w- I want to ask you because, on, on that point, I mean, I think there are, we have an idea in our heads a, a lot of the time in this country that basically the relationship is Canada wants to do things and uh, First Nations or Indigenous peoples want to stop those things. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes true. And you've been yep. part of those campaigns. Um, uh People know, people know those campaigns. It's, it's all the big ones. But the other thing is that since I've known you, and, and I've known you for a while. I mean, I wrote about <laughs> you in my book. It, it was in 2009. I mean, that's, a, you know, 11 yeah. years. And, and yeah. I, since I've known you, you've been building things. Mm-hmm. Um, building uh, Stelma the, um, uh, for, for, for the Squamish language. You... Uh, are are working on developments with um, for housing for the, for the Squamish Nation. T- talk to me about, and, and I mean, and I'm and I don't want to like, you're not the only one. I mean, yeah. like, talk to me about what's what's being built and and the indigenous future in this in this country and um, h- how you see yourself uh, as as a, as a part of it and and um, uh, and and you know what I, I, I guess what we can do to make the conversation one that is uh, turns more on uh, a, a constructive vision of um, a better future mm-hmm. um, because that's always the sense I get from you whenever I hear about what you're doing yeah. uh, and it's such a an antidote to the the despair that it, that is I, I also don't want to dismiss because there are many things in this in terms of this country and and its and its treatment of of indigenous peoples yeah. to be despairing of um, yeah. so I don't want to put that despair entirely aside but yeah but but tell me about the hope that has to sit next to it sure um. I think, okay, so part of it is I think that sometimes, I think Indigenous people by, in Canada at least, I don't want to speak for like around the world, but I think a lot of Indigenous people in my experience and my work and meeting with communities and leaders across the country is that we're not like, Indigenous people aren't inherently or intrinsically like nostalgic. Like it's not like there isn't this desire to like turn back the hands of the time and, and to go back to how things were. I think it, it, it's, a, it's all about 
um, there's, there's a type of, of society that we want to have, you know, in our communities. And there's hundreds of expressions of what that looks like based off of our history and our culture and our geography and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think a lot of indigenous people in my community, especially like we want, you know, these types of things that I think a lot of societies we want. We want our children to have a better life than we did. Um, we want a clean environment. We want, um, you know, um, to have access to basic human kind of dignity things. Um, I think, you know, cultures and families around the world all want those things. Like, I don't know any culture or society that says, I want my children to like suffer more than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, so indigenous people like set out, I think a lot of communities set out with this kind of like thing, like I want things to be better and, and what that better looks like might look different in a first nations context, because for better for us is I want more longhouses where we can practice our spirituality and our culture, or I want, um, those parts of our territory with old growth forests to be, you know, protected from logging so that I can go and connect with my ancestors there because, some people go to a synagogue or a church or a mosque to connect with their God. And I want to go to an old growth forest to connect with mine. Um, those, you know, I think that there are parallels to draw so that people can understand what, what's going on. The other thing that I would say is that like a lot of people, I think where we struggle still in Canada is that I think uh, first nations and well, indigenous people are, are racialized by the Canadian state and by the Canadian kind of, um, uh, society um, we're, we're racialized we're treated as a race um, and of course race is a fiction it's like folklore right it's like as as real as Santa Claus mm -hmm. um, but but indigenous people are treated as this kind of racial category um, but we're but and so we we are racialized and we experience uh, oppression sometimes because of the color of our skin or our designation as a racial class. But we're, we're actually like what people I think we haven't gotten to yet as a, in Canada is to understanding that um, indigenous nations are another order of government. We're not above or below. We're not first or fourth. We're just another order of government in the same way that we have a federal government, a provincial government, a municipal government. And we are a pluralistic society in Canada, right? We have federalism, we have local governments, um, and we operate as citizens in and out of all of those kinds of jurisdictions. And uh, people are familiar with that. Like people get that, like we, that's the country we live in. I think what people don't understand because our education system doesn't teach this properly is that I think Canadians need to stop seeing indigenous people as like some ethnicity and that these um, things that happen, these progressive things that happen, like legislation that dictate, like outlines what rights for a particular group of people are, or the advancement of, of First Nations having control over development within their territory. That None of that is because of this idea that we're a race. It's not based off of, it, it's not this kind of racial kind of um segmentation of our society right you know people think that like oh we should all be equal and, and and that was kind of the old school trudeau first trudeau kind of paradigm around indigenous issues was like there's this race um canada needs to evolve past it we need to like all be equal we're gonna like you know subtract um from the benefits that these indigenous people get 
but we're actually a pluralistic society. Um, most First Nations in Canada operate under some form of democracy. Um, all three nations here in Vancouver do. And, and, and in the same way that like, you know, like you, Charlie, don't have voting rights in another province because we live in a pluralistic society and we've kind of decided that that group of people gets to vote in those elections, whereas you get to vote in yours here. Um, there's a group of people who get to vote in one set of elections that you don't get to participate in because that's not the, the, the jurisdiction that you are connected to. That's not the jurisdiction that has a responsibility for you. And that's not a jurisdiction that you have necessarily rights in. Mm -hmm. um, for you as a Canadian, that shifts and it's trend, you know, it shifts and it's based off of a set of laws and conditions. Like, you know, you could go live in Toronto for a few months, doesn't, you know, and then come back to Vancouver and still get to vote in BC or still get to vote in Vancouver. There's also like, you know, really weird things like, you know, in Vancouver municipal elections, where if you're a citizen here or you're business, you own a business here, you get to vote in our municipal elections. So it's right. not even like defined by this kind of idea of citizenship. So all of these things are like, defined. or you moved to Newfoundland and you lived there for three generations and your grandkids are still yeah. those guys from away. Yeah. 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 So, you know, so we're, we're, we're political orders. And, and so as, as kind of political, political orders and as societies, like that's what people need to understand is like, we are societies in a pluralism, which means that there are multiple different societies operating within this kind of notion of Canada. And we're all kind of negotiating and changing that all the time. Um, it's just that as the original people of this country, the original people get, because these have always been how we have governed ourselves, because this is how we have uninterrupted existed as a people here. We were countries before Canada existed. We have, Canada is, has, doesn't grant us these rights. It affirms and recognizes them. They have always existed for us. We have, are fighting for them to continue to exist. Uh, Canada as the new imposition here who has set up shop is just trying to wrestle with the fact that these things exist. There is a consequence to Canada for not respecting or affirming these things. And also just like I've made the point earlier that Canada will succeed more when indigenous communities succeed. Like it's just a fa it's just a fact. Um, so in terms of building things, I just think that um, there's all kinds of amazing, powerful, inspiring uh, projects, uh, uh, institutions, and, and, and ideas um, that are out there in Canada um, to help improve the lives uh, of, of, of people who, uh, you know, are trying to just do better for themselves and their families. And so much of it is just built on the true earnest kind of desire by people to want a better life either for themselves or for others. And that's, I think that's just universal. Like, I think there's just people all around the world want that. Right. So it's not like it's a unique thing. I, I could talk to you for a million years, man. I, I just, uh, it's, it's, it's just so great to, to hear. And I, and I, and it's, I, you know that um, Rick Salutin wrote a, 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 a novel years ago uh, called uh, The Womanizer, and there's a character in it who is is a, um, a Keynesian uh, mm -hmm. in the 1960s, and 
the uh, the narrator describes the character. He says, uh, uh, you know, he was a Keynesian when everybody else was communist, and it's by some weird magic, this made this made him more radical than them because he was actually involved in the society and in changing it. Um, and there's there's something about the way you talk about politics that that reminds me of that line in that book that 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 there's something so much more revolutionary about actually taking seriously the cultural and political and legal context uh, in which you're operating and in which you're trying to achieve uh, your goals. Mm -hmm. And, and the work that you've done is uh, so, I mean, for people who don't, who haven't read Vancouver special, uh, you know, I wrote a book in 2009 and in one of the, it would be essay on, um, uh, on Vancouver's indigenous, you know, the past, present and future. I mean, it's a short essay. Uh, doesn't all do it justice, but what, what, it, what the essay was about was how, when I was growing up, there were two kinds of people. There were uh, good liberal people who thought um, that, you know, there had there had once been indigenous people here and they were all gone now and that was bad. And then there were right wing bad people who said there used to be indigenous people here and they're all gone now. And that doesn't really matter. Um, And, but they both sets agreed it's over. Um, You know, that, that was the past here and, and the future, whatever it is, is non-indigenous. And uh, that, that one thing that was that was clear to me was that that the city has an indigenous future, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I wrote about this young guy who <laughs> uh, you know uh, uh, and who at the time I I knew through um, <clears throat> Stephen Hoy, my dear friend, uh, uh, who was at the time the tech editor for the Georgia Strait, and was like, "You got it. This kid is like." you know, he's, he's saving the Squamish language using like apps. Like he's just, it, you know, it was just blowing his, his mind was blown and, and he totally sold me. And, 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 you know, in the years since then, you've just like, I mean, uh, if, if anything, I was like too bearish, like I, I should have <laughs> bet bigger, uh, but I just, uh, it's, it's just, yeah. uh, it's such a treat watching you work and, and uh, I just feel like uh, I'm just so glad you're on the case, man. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess, I mean, one of the things about me is I have this kind of, I don't know, um, quality that when I see a problem uh, that really nobody, like, if I see a problem and I don't feel like it's really being addressed, I, I just feel a propensity to get involved and do something about it um or 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 to support people who are doing something about it like and 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 playing my part right like it's there's there's lots of amazing things that are happening by other other community leaders and and elected or non-elected and it's like yes exactly like that needs to be totally supported and i just i want to get involved and help and so my my values are oriented around that and then my politics is oriented around that and i've i've found you know more recently just to like a way to describe it is um, I think most of my political leanings over the years, and they've evolved in some ways, but overall, I think that I've just been a very strong advocate of a stronger social democracy. 
Mm. And that's, from my point of view, that's, that's the problem in the world is that we don't have enough of it. And, and we should be lining up together and organizing communities behind that idea because that if we, if we believe that that's, I mean, we're all struggling to figure out how to create a better society for ourselves and our families. And, and in a democracy, you have to organize with strangers and, and fight like hell for them, fight like hell for people you don't know. Um, and we should, right? Like we should care about um, people who don't have the same conditions um, or weren't given the same luck that some of us had. Yeah, and uh, don't like the same stuff as us. Like, don't yeah. watch the same movies. Don't yeah. watch the same TV shows. Don't listen yeah. to the same music. Yeah, and or don't they weren't you know afforded the opportunity to go like you know learn by osmosis the absolute correct you know vernacular. Yeah, we're talking about politics. Like we 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 need to. Order I prefer that. the term vernacular, but uh, I'll allow it. Uh... <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Right, and so it's like you know we need more social democracy. Um, we need more, so like we need more institutions that strengthen our social democracy, whether that be universal education, uh, universal childcare, um, you, you know, absolutely more forms of, of community or public housing, um, stronger healthcare, um, for, for everybody. Um, all of those things, like we're in the, we're in the 21st century and all of the big social democratic, um, things that we benefit from now were fought for by people and we need to fight like hell to you know for the next layer of what that looks like and i i really believe that uh, and i've come to understand that that there is a there is a version of that that really understands that indigenous peoples um are an intrinsic part of that as kind of equal partners um in this kind of society we want to build and we would all benefit from it um and I think we're on the pathway to that. I think there's lots of cool kinds of examples where we are winning that battle and there's lots of examples where we're not. And, and I think we need to do better in, in that, but, um, but, but I am hopeful. Amen. Wow. I, uh, thank you so much. I, I, uh, I, I was going to, I keep saying that I, I I'm going to make these, uh, podcast subscriber only but i just i feel like i can't do that with this i <laughs> this this one just has to uh i i have to let it just uh swim out into the wild and be okay. free and find the other uh find the other podcasts yeah. and, and 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 uh um join the stream so i uh yeah i'm i'm i i'm i, I feel like uh Kelsilum must uh must be given to the people so I'm, I'm, I'm a third free podcast is going out uh, to the people. I'm, I'm going out of business at this rate, folks. You're this is gonna... Charlie, you're a terrible capitalist. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. And uh, I will uh, talk to you very soon, either uh, on my own text thread or via my wife. <laughs> Who is a lovely um delightful smart and um amazing person that i have tremendous respect uh and admiration for well i am i am really trying to make blush right now she uh <laughs> she and, and if, if people could even conceive of this at the end of all my gushing 
I'm not even the person in my uh, house who's the most pro calcium. So <laughs> I, I, I'm considered a, a, a moderate yeah. uh, on that right. front yeah. in, in our house. Uh, uh, Josephine, very anti. Yes. Uh, thinks you're a sellout. But, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, she's young. She'll grow out of it. Yeah. We, we were all in that angry young phase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love you, man. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Talk soon. Bye.